I started this series of sermons last week, and I shared with you that as I was thinking through the summer, I so appreciate Richard giving me this opportunity to, to do a series in the summer. And I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, wow, we need encouragement. You know, we're living in these uh, times where people have been isolated. By the way, it's good to see you here. This Isn't it good to get out, be here, you know? People have been isolated. People have been afraid, and we don't really know what's going on. There's confusion, and it just seems overwhelming, and there's so much bad news. But you know, the wonderful thing is the gospel is good news. It is about Jesus. It's about a walk with Jesus, a close walk with Jesus. And the gospel brings us great encouragement. So when I was thinking about what book to choose, I chose Philippians because Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote primarily to encourage the Philippians. And its basic message is one of joy. In fact, Paul says in it, rejoice and keep on rejoicing. Now, let me give you the context of this, though. And we're going to really see this today as we dig into it. When Paul is writing this book about joy and about rejoicing, and all the way through the book, you're going to read him, you're going to read these words, joy, 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 rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. All through this book, as you think about that, he is in prison. He's facing possibly the end of his life. And yet he could write about rejoicing. He could talk about joy. You see, I mentioned last week that so much of handling the complexities, the difficulties, the problems of life has to do with our mindset. What is our focus? Our natural tendency is to go immediately to the negatives, to be overwhelmed with all the bad news, to focus on all the negatives. That's the way we normally think. But God calls us to lift our eyes up above our circumstances and to focus on him. And you know what happens when you begin to focus on him? Your perspective changes because you're going to see things differently then. And your attitude changes. And therefore, Paul could say, I'm in prison, but I rejoice. Now, we're going to look at a remarkable, a remarkable passage in Philippians this morning where we pick up where we left off last week, Philippians chapter 1, and beginning at verse 12, in which Paul addresses his current situation, that he's in prison. So this is God's Word. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard And to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, 
and I will continue to rejoice. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? And this morning, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you help us to gain your perspective, that when we talk about your providence, your providential care, your sovereignty, what great comfort it gives to us. And I know that there are people watching this morning, there are people here that are overcome with difficulties. These are hard times. But Lord, let us be able to look above that and see the bigger picture. And so may your spirit move in our hearts. Encourage us, God. Encourage us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you last week when we looked at the opening verses of Philippians how Paul had a very, very special place in his heart for these people. This was the first church that he planted in Europe, really. And I gave you even some of the early converts, Lydia, the Philippian jailer. He, he had this very close relationship with them. He cared about them. He, he loved them with the affection of Christ, he said. But not only did he love them and were concerned about him, but they loved him. In fact, they loved him very, very much. He founded the church after he left Philippi for all those years. They supported him as a missionary. They sent him money. They prayed for him. They were interested in him. And it's now been four years since they've been able to see him. And they had heard rumors about him. They knew he was in prison in Rome. They didn't know what was going on. They were worried about him. They were anxious about it, which is one of the reasons in this epistle that Paul wrote these words. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Two weeks, we're going to look at that passage. They were filled with anxiety. They weren't only anxious about Paul because they loved him so much, but they also were anxious because they had sent one of their fellow church members. His name was Epaphroditus. And you can read about this in the second chapter. They sent Epaphroditus over to minister to Paul while he was in prison. And while Epaphroditus was there in Rome, he became very, very ill. In fact, he almost died. And they were worried about it. And so Paul was eager to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi along with this letter to encourage the people in the church there. And so don't you know that when they got this letter and they started reading it, how relieved they were when they read these words from Paul. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what had happened to Paul? Let me say this. The things that happened to Paul were very different from the things that Paul had planned for himself. Remember, he was the great missionary to the Gentiles. He had been traveling all over the various parts of the world. He was taking the gospel to them. And his goal was to take the gospel as far west as Spain. That was his plan. But his plans got abruptly changed. And instead, he found himself a prisoner on trial for his life. His troubles actually started back when he was determined that he was going to go to Jerusalem on another trip. And he mentioned that. And when he did, 
the Holy Spirit warned him through a prophet whose name was Agabus. And the prophet, with the Holy Spirit prompting him, warned Paul that when he went back, what he was going to find was imprisonment and chains. But Paul determined to go, in spite of what everybody else said, left and went there. And of course, when he got there, what was prophesied came true. False accusations were leveled against him. He was met by an angry mob. He was thrown into a Roman prison. His case was a mockery of justice. And if his suffering wasn't enough, then they sent him to Rome on a ship. While he was on the ship, there was a storm and he almost lost his life there. And when he reached Rome, he was bound by a chain destined for over two years under arrest Awaiting the uncertain decision of a pagan king. That's what happened to him. And you know what? In spite of all of those things, still imprisoned, still chained, still uncertain about his future. What did he say? Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, imagine that for a minute. Couldn't couldn't you just put yourself in his situation? Don't you think he could have easily been disappointed, frustrated, maybe even embittered? You know what it is when your desires and your goals have been blocked. And here was Paul's driving desire to take the gospel. And he had this plan, move it all through what we know as Europe and take it all the way to the West as far as he could go. And all of a sudden, everything changed. But you know what? He didn't focus on that. It's amazing. He saw things from God's perspective. God changed Paul's plans to bring them in conformity with his plans. And let me tell you, God's good at that. In your life, you may have these desires. In this life, you may have plans. You may think you have it all mapped out. But all of a sudden, you're going to find sometimes God blocks those plans, and he does so to bring your plans in conformity with his plans. You see, Paul's circumstances were not the big picture. The gospel was the big picture. And whatever we face, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever we may be facing, there is a bigger picture within the plans and the purposes of God. Whatever we face, there's a bigger picture that falls within the plans and the circumstances of God. And God is in the business of taking everything that happens, whether we understand it or not, and bring it. Look at this verse. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him. All right, that's the first thing. God has a plan. And let me tell you something about God's plan. It cannot be interrupted. It cannot be changed. Because it's God's plan. According to the plan of him, look at this, who works out everything, everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Stop and think about that a minute. What are the difficult things that you faced in life? I mean, all of this business we're having to deal with now. You think God's wringing his hands up in the heavens and thinking, oh, what am I going to do about this? No, there's a bigger picture. There's a a bigger plan. 
and he takes whatever it is and he brings whatever's going on. It says it. He brings everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And there was no question in Paul's mind that God was in control, that he could trust him. There was no question about that. You see, he believed in God's, what we use the word, providence, which means his sovereign control, his care, his sovereign oversight of his people. And how God works all things for good and for his glory according to that purpose. And Paul understood that. He wrote in Romans. Don't we love this verse? Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good. There's no way in the world you can claim that verse if you don't believe in the providence of God. There's no way you can claim that verse if you don't believe that God is sovereign and in control. And when you know that, we can say, whatever this is that I'm facing, God has a bigger plan. And somehow, I don't understand it, but it's going to, but it's going to come. Charlie, in the earlier service, uh, used an illustration from St. Augustine. And he said, anyway, St. Augustine said that you look at a stained glass window, and if you go put your nose against it, all you see are these various particles. They make no sense. It's not until you back up and you look at it that you see the beauty of it, that there's a plan to it. that And all of, of those things that happen eventually, all those little pieces ultimately are pointing us to Christ and drawing us closer to him. You see, Paul believed that. He believed that all things God works together for good. He didn't look at his circumstances and say, well, God, I guess you don't love me anymore. Well, God, I guess you don't care for me anymore. What are you doing, God? Where are you? Now, I'm going to confess. There have been times in my life I've said that. God, what are you doing? Do you really love me? you really care about me? I'm sure we've all been through those times in our lives, particularly when these things become absolutely overwhelming to us. But Paul was able to work through that, and he looked Not at his circumstances, but he was confident. He was confident that God would work these things out for good. He knew that there was a bigger picture, a divine purpose, and that God would work it out for good. And so what does he say? He says, listen, whatever's happened to me, it's turned out for good. Well, how did it turn out for good? Well, Paul's going to give you three illustrations here. Of how it turned out for good. See, he he wasn't focusing on the negative. He started saying, okay, what's God doing here? Well, here's the first one. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Let me tell you who the palace guards. Palace guard were the praetorians. They were that elite group of soldiers who had been trained to guard the emperor and his household. Now imagine, the, I guess it's closest things, our secret service. You know, closest up to the president, gardening. Imagine this. How in the world could the gospel ever get to people like that? Paul's in prison. He's meeting praetorian guards. What does he do? Talks about Jesus. And when he began to talk about Jesus, some of them obviously believed. They started telling other people. And it was very clear to the palace guard and to everyone else, he said, that I'm in chains for Christ. They knew why he was there, because of Jesus and his love. I imagine old Paul was saying, I may be chained up, but the gospel's not. 
Even Nero's guards are getting converted. Don't you know how excited he would be? Well, that was one thing. Then he turns to another one. He said, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul, having been in, in Rome and there in his situation in prison, he wasn't afraid to talk about Jesus to the praetorians. And you don't think word got around to all the ordinary Christians out there? You, ought to, you wouldn't believe what Paul's doing. He's talking to Nero's guards about Jesus. And you know what happened? Got them fired up. So all the brothers, they started talking about Jesus more and more, more courageously, more fearlessly. And you can just imagine these gospel movements that started taking place as a result of this. And then there was one more. It's kind of a negative one, but Paul made it a positive thing. It seems that there were some preachers who were preaching from wrong motives. They did it out of envy and rivalry. In fact, Paul said they were trying to stir up problems for me while I was in chain. They were envious of Paul. Now, that's terrible to think about. A preacher, a minister, you know, having envy and creating strife and all those kinds of things. Well, reality is that happens. And Paul looked at them and they were out there trying to to win people to them while Paul was in prison because they were envious of him. How would you feel if I was Paul? Those scoundrels? That's not what he said. It's amazing. He said, but what does it matter? The important thing, look, perspective, mindset, focus. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. He was able to rejoice even in those situations as well. Well, let's bring this thing home. Let's talk about what do we do when we go go through difficult circumstances. And one thing we all have in common right now is we're all in difficult circumstances. I don't like this stuff. And probably most of you agree you don't either. We're kind of tired of it. This is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen in all my life. Having to change the way we're having to change uncertainties of the things we're doing. I mean, we're planning here. How do we start that? We don't know. We're living in those times. So how do we handle when difficult circumstances come across our lives? How do we handle it? So I want to give you four things. And here's the first one. God does not always change our circumstances, but he gives us the grace to navigate through them. God does not always change our circumstances, but he gives us the grace to navigate through them. Now, it's not wrong to pray for God to change your circumstances. I hope we're all praying that God brings an end to this COVID stuff. I hope we're praying we get delivered out of this. But, you know, sometimes God doesn't change the circumstances. And the more important prayer is that we would pray for God's grace to enable us to face whatever we've got to face. Paul understood this throughout his life. Not only here, he's in prison. You know, he had some kind of physical ailment. We don't really know what it was, but he had prayed about it. It was something that really burdened him. And he had prayed about it and prayed about it. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And, you know, he got his answer. Jesus gave him the answer. And here was the answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He didn't change the circumstances. 
But my grace is sufficient. And whatever it is that we go through, God's grace is sufficient. Paul said, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. God doesn't always change our difficult circumstances, but he gives us the grace to navigate through them. Second thing, God is sovereign and he will cause even our difficult circumstances to work out for our good and for his glory. God is sovereign. He will cause even our difficult circumstances to work out for good and for his glory. All right, let me illustrate. Joseph. You remember Joseph? Joseph's down in Egypt. You remember what his brothers did to him? His brothers, a bunch of scoundrels. If they ever were scoundrels, they were. They, they took him. They were jealous of him. They didn't like him. They, in fact, honestly, they wanted to kill him, but one of the brothers talked him out of that, so they convinced him to sell him into slavery, and he ends up going as a slave down to Egypt at some point. But guess what? He becomes the prime minister. He becomes the second in command of Egypt. And lo and behold, one day, the brothers come before him. Don't you know they were scared to death? Joseph is what? He's the prime minister? What on earth is he going to do to us? But look at Joseph's word. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Let me tell you what Joseph saw. He saw the bigger picture. There was a bigger picture. And by the way, it was through that, all that Joseph went through, that actually preserved the Jewish people. That's what that meant. You intended to harm me? God meant it for good. Or you take Paul. What's happened to me has turned out for the advancement of the gospel. We know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. First thing, God doesn't always change our difficult circumstances. He gives us grace to navigate through it. Secondly, God is in control and he will cause all things to work together for good and for his glory. But now here's the key, the third thing. What's your focus? What's your mindset? You see, that's the most important thing of all. We have to keep our eyes on Christ and not on our circumstances. Now, real quick, do you remember when the storm, when, when the disciples were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee, big storm comes up, which was not unusual, but a big storm came up. Jesus is walking on the water. And what does Peter want to do? Peter wants to get out to Jesus. Why? Because he knew he couldn't be in any safer place than to be in a closer walk with Jesus, right? So he knew that. So what does he do? He gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. And he's doing fine until what happened? His focus changed. The waves and the wind. And when his focus changed, you know what started happening? He started sinking. But let me tell you something. Jesus didn't let him drown. He grabbed him up. And you and I sometimes are going to do in that same state. We're not going to have our eyes where they need to be. And you know what? We're going to start sinking. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is not going to let you drown. He will reach out for you. Because that's the kind of God that he is. So we've got to keep our eyes on him. Now, here's where I want to take you. 
I want you to think for a moment with me this morning about what Christ suffered for us. I want you to think for a moment what happened to Jesus. In fact, I'd say to you, the worst thing that we will ever face could never come close to what Jesus experienced for us. Next week, we're going to talk in detail about this because we're going to be able to see we can rejoice in Christ's work. And I'll tell you, it was painful work. God doesn't always change our circumstances, gives us grace to navigate through it. He's in control. He's going to work it out for good and for glory. But we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. The, the writer to the Hebrews said this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Listen to it. When the storms come, when the difficulties come, when the pain comes, when the uncertainties come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. When the tragedies of life come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. When we're filled with fear, when we're filled with anxiety, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let me ask you a question. What was that joy that was set before Jesus? You know what it was? You and me. We are that joy. He delights in us. Whenever you begin to feel down about yourself, whenever you feel unloved, whenever you feel that your life doesn't count, Jesus looks at you and you're a joy to him. He delights in you. We're even told he sings over us. And he was willing because he knew the joy that he would be a redeeming of people, us, to be his own, to spend all eternity with him in this glorious new heavens and new earth. And so all through history, he has been working to bring about that ultimate purpose New heavens, new earth, and there will be no suffering, no pain, no death, no sorrow, nothing like that anymore is all done away with. And Jesus is thinking of the joy that will be with him. You know how the Bible ends? It ends with a marriage ceremony. And here's Christ, the bridegroom. And what happens? Here's the church. Beautifully adorned and brought before him. And I'll tell you what, I've looked at many a groom watching his bride come down that aisle. And you talk about joy, you talk about happiness, you talk about the light that you see in their eyes. That's exactly the way Jesus looks at us. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat at the right hand. And it's there at the right hand that he, the sovereign God over all things, is the God of providence. Who brings everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And then it goes on to say, consider him 
who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Whenever you think you've got it really tough, consider him. Whenever you think that you're dealing with the worst things ever you could imagine, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. It's when we get our eyes on Jesus that we will not grow weary and lose heart. That's the whole point. So here it is. God doesn't always change our circumstances, but he gives us grace to navigate through them. He is sovereign, in control, and he will cause all things to work together for good and for his glory. The key is to fix our eyes on him, keep our eyes on him, keep our focus there, consider him. And then one last thing. When we do, Christ will give us the strength to do what we have to do. This is what Paul said in the fourth chapter of Philippians. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situations, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's the key. When we've got our eyes focused on him and we trust him, he gives us the grace to navigate, but he also gives us the strength to do it, whatever it is that comes our way. And so it's no wonder that Paul could write. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, you know what? God used it for good. He used it for the advancement of the gospel. There is a bigger picture. God is at work in any and every circumstance. And because of this, we can rejoice in God's providence. For we know that God is bringing everything in conformity with his perfect will. Let's pray. This morning, Jesus, help us to fix our eyes on you. Some of us have been focused on circumstances. I did it a bunch of times this week. And forgive me when I lower my eyes and I forget to consider you and fix my eyes on you. I don't think I'm alone with that. I imagine there are many people in this room who could say the same thing. Grant them grace to lift their eyes and fix them on you. And remember that for us, the joy set before you, you endured the cross. You love us that much. And we're so thankful that you're at the right hand of, of God. That supreme seat of power in this universe. And we can rejoice because you're our king. Because you reign, Jesus, we can rejoice. We rejoice in your providence this day. And we make this prayer in and through the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.